Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, historian Bill Federer continues his look at who is king in America, and Marvin McIlvaney will have a Bible in the News report. Next year, we celebrate 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. As we prepare to celebrate God's faithfulness to this ministry, we are reminded why we are here each day on the radio and online. It's you. We are here for you. Today, if you need prayer, please contact us. Whenever you call us here at Watchman on the Wall, be sure and let us know how we can be praying for you. We consider it an honor to pray for you. We're here ready to listen and pray with you. Our number is 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Let's join Bill Federer and Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill as they continue their look at the unique way America was founded and how that has preserved us as a nation. I'm with William J. Federer, Bill Federer, the author of Who is the King in America and Who are the Counselors to the King? And it's an overview of of history, and it shows us about kings and kingdoms. We had a very good conversation last time, and so we want to continue with it today, Bill. I've got a question for you about America and its memory. When we started watching folks destroy statues that had been up, some of them as long as almost 200 years, and they were pulled down and broken and smashed to bits because somebody didn't like whatever it was that they may or may not have stood for. Most of the time, they didn't even know who the statue was of. They had no idea why it was there. They had not been taught. And, of course, the reason we had those memorials was so we could teach our children what the history was of our nation. Have we lost our memory as a nation today? Yeah, I'd tell people that history is not prophetic, but it is predictive. So past behavior is the best indicator of future performance. And so if we teach the history, we get an idea where things are headed. And then you had shared the quote from John F. Kennedy, but it's also one that person on Kennedy's staff was Arthur Schlesinger, Jr. And he said, history is to the nation what memory is to the individual. So if you think of history as sort of a corporate memory, and if you've ever met someone who's lost their memory, maybe they have Alzheimer's, it's sad, you can take anything away from them. It's sort of like in America, we have Alzheimer's, we have national Alzheimer's, and they're taking away our freedoms, and we're just sort of staring off. And But when I share these history stories, it's like, a little spark comes back into somebody's eyes. They go, that's who I am. I, I suddenly remember what's going on and who we are as a country. And so, so what makes America great is the people get to be in charge of their lives, and then all of us together are in charge of the country. And it was a break from the norm, which is all top-down kings and pharaohs and Caesars and thousands of years of that. Now, one of the things I bring out in my book is that the majority of the people in America are Christian. Now, in 1965, 93% of the country identified as Christian. That was 69% Protestant, 24% Catholic, and then 3% of the country was Jewish. So you had a country that was 
93% Christian, 3% Jew. That's 96% that believed in the Bible, which has basic beliefs. Number one, everyone's made in the image of God. This is different than Hinduism, where they have 300 million different gods, and if you're made in the lowest caste as an untouchable, you're not equal to anybody. You've got to clean the sewers. It's not the same in, in Islam, where Allah has no image, and a Muslim male is worth more than a female or an infidel or whatever, or in communist countries where your worth is dependent on your utility. If you can contribute to the state, the state thinks you're worth more to it. But if you're not contributing, not carrying your weight, the state thinks that you're a burden and then they'll get rid of you. But in America, we have this basic Judeo-Christian concept that everyone's made in the image of God, and this God is not a respecter of persons. And so in America, the people are the king, and the majority of the people have been Christian. Now, it's gone down. The study that the Pew Forum, P-E-W, did a few years ago said that only 65% of the country was Christian. So in 30 years, we've dropped 30%. It's, it's not the right direction. But still, 65% is barely a majority. Which is, So if the country, if the people are the king, and the majority of the people are Christian, that makes the pastors, in a sense, counselors to the king. And so I give presentations, and one of them I flip up a, a picture, and it's a famous painting of Emperor Theodosius, who's a Christian, and he's being rebuked by his pastor, Bishop Ambrose, St. Ambrose, there in Milan, Italy. Could you imagine being Ambrose and having the emperor in your church on Sunday? Well, that's sort of what we have in America. The people are the king, and the, the majority of the people are Christian, which means they go to church, which, which means they're listening to their pastors, and you have two kind of pastors. One set of pastors says, don't get involved, as sure your responsibility as the king, and another one says, get involved. And so there's a movie, and I just had to get this scene from the movie, The Lord of the Rings, and there's this one episode where there is a King Theodon, and he has a spell cast on him, and he is sitting on his throne, and he's got gray hair, gray eyes, he's decrepit looking, he's got cataracts, he's just all shriveled up, and he has two counselors in this scene. One is this ugly guy named Wormtongue, and he whispers in the king's ear, stay asleep, don't get involved, yeah, your kingdom is being overrun, but just wait a little longer, and it's all going to be over. Yeah, you'll be conquered. But then there's another consul that walks in named Gandalf, and he, like, casts the devil out of the king. And right before your eyes, the king starts to wake up, and his eyes get clear, and his hair goes from gray to brown, and his beard gets short, and he looks around the room, and he says, Dark have been my dreams of late. You know, they do those special effects with the movies. And they said, Yeah, you've been out of it with this spell cast on you by this wicked consular. And so in America, the people are the king, the majority are Christian, and you have two types of Pastors, two type of counselors. One tells the king, go to sleep, shirk your responsibility, just worry about your own relationship with God, and just wait till Jesus returns. And another one throws ice water on his congregation and says, wake up. You don't just have the right to vote in America. You're going to be held accountable to God for what happens in America. Right? And so this is where I think there's an overlooked scripture. It's Numbers chapter 30. Who reads Numbers chapter 30? Right? But it's the silence equals consent chapter. Half a dozen scenarios. One is if a daughter is still living in her father's house and binds herself with a vow. And the day the father hears it, if he's silent, the vow stands. But if he disallows it, she is released from the vow and the Lord forgives her. That's come down to us as vows in a wedding ceremony. 
And the pastor says, if you're silent, you're giving consent to this wedding. You know, speak now or forever, hold your peace. And so if a church member's silence gives consent to a wedding vow, the church member's silence gives consent to other things. And so if they are teaching stuff in a nearby school that boys can go in girls' bathrooms and that you can have fluid sex and little kids can identify as a fuzzy and that you can put kids through chemical castration and remove parts of their anatomy, if you are silent, you are giving consent to that. And Jesus says, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble, better that a millstone be put around your neck and you be thrown in the depths of the sea. And then if there's abortions going on and they're killing babies and you are silent, you're giving consent to that. And if you give consent to murder, you're guilty of murder. You'll be judged as if he committed the murder. There's even a verse in the Bible, Numbers chapter 20. Any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Moloch is to be put to death. If the members of the community close their eyes when that man sacrifices one of his children to Moloch, I myself will set my face against that man and his family and will cut them off from their people. So it's like, okay, if you know that they're killing babies and you close your eyes and act like you don't see it, the Lord, he's going to set himself against you and cut you off. And they say it again in Proverbs 24. It says, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to death. Don't stand back and let them die. Don't try to disclaim responsibility by saying you didn't know about it. For the Lord, who knows all hearts, knows yours, and he knows you knew. And he will reward everyone according to his deeds. He'll judge you. And so all those people that think they're being spiritual by not getting involved are, by their silence, giving consent to sin, they're inviting the judgment of God upon their heads. Here they're thinking, I'm real spiritual, I'm not going to get involved, we're not in it to win it, we're just going to, you know, pretend like uh, we didn't see it, we're going to close our eyes, we're just going to live our lives, we're just going to wait till Jesus returns. But you know their sin, and you're silent, you're giving consent. I mean, it's going to be a rude awakening for all these people that think they're being spiritual when they're actually setting themselves up for judgment to be poured out on their heads. And so this is the attitude, right? So the, the most important thing is to bring people to Christ, but the second most important thing is to preserve the freedom to do the most important thing. right? If you really believe that the gospel is the answer, you will be involved wanting to preserve the freedom to preach the gospel. I was reading where Dietrich Bonhoeffer was upset because the German had a Germans, Lutherans had adopted the two-kingdom concept, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the church, the two don't touch. And so the church sat back while Hitler's dragging all these Jews off to die. And there's stories of sing louder, right? The train cars were going by the church, and they could hear the screams of the people, and they would just have the, everybody sing louder to drown out. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we can't be silent anymore. And so he started a confessing church movement, which means we got to speak out, we got to... And Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. And then even Martin Luther himself, all these people say, well, we're just going to preach the gospel. We're not going to get involved in politics. Martin Luther said, if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except that little point where the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. 
right? So to say, oh, I'm just going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to do a really good job at preaching the gospel, but you're not involved in wanting to preserve the freedom to preach the gospel, you really don't believe the gospel, right? You're just going through the motions. It's very important for us to understand that there's a dividing that's going on in the world. The evil is getting more out in the open. I mean, here you have Disney having a cartoon that's called the Antichrist, about a woman that gets pregnant with Satan and the child is the Antichrist. And then you have Proposition 2223 in California, where they wanted to make it where you could kill a baby 28 days after birth. And if you're silent about this, you're giving consent to murder, you will be held guilty as if you committed the murder. And I believe God is pushing us to the place where people are going to have to make a decision. You know, some people are going to say, okay, uh, another Disney cartoon, we're just going to be silent. You know, they're teaching stuff that the Jesus wouldn't teach, they're killing babies, I'm just going to be silent. And then it's like, okay, look, it's out in the open evil. And then Proverbs, it says, those that hate me love death. But then there are going to be those that are going to be giving their consent to the evil by their silence. And they will be judged as if they committed the sin. But then there's going to be other people that say, you know what, I just can't be silent anymore. It's one thing abortion, but it's another thing a baby already being born and killing it. I, I, I can't go there. I'm sorry. And they're going to say this far and no further. And they're going to start speaking out. And they're going to start moving in the direction, the opposite direction. And say, you know what, I'm going to speak out. There is only two sexes. There's four trillion cells in your body. Every one of them either has an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome. You can cut off pieces of anatomy. You can take hormones, but the, the chromosomes in the, the body do not change. So there's those that are going to be saying, look, God in the beginning, Jesus himself said, God in the beginning made a male and female. I'm going to stick with Jesus. All right? He's my Savior. I'm trusting him to save me. He said in the beginning God made a male and female, and so I'm going to stick with Jesus' definition. Their tactic is to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ, saying, well, if you're really Christian, you'll tolerate this. Would Jesus tolerate that? So I believe that we're being pushed toward a decision-making point. I don't think that you're going to be able to sit this one out. I don't think you're going to have to keep your head low. I hope they don't notice me. No, I think the purpose of it is to cause people to have to speak out, to have to make a decision on whose side they're on. When cells split in two, some stuff goes to the right, some stuff goes to the left. There's no stuff in the middle just floating around. It's totally one way or the other. And I think we're the bride of Christ. And every romance Hallmark movie builds up to a decision-making moment. It's like the highlight of the movie. And there's a decision made of a forsaking of all others and choosing the one. So as we get up to our worldwide decision-making crisis moment, some people are going to choose all others. They're going to say, I want all others to like me and friend me and follow me and not to say anything bad about me. And others are going to say, I don't care what men are say. All I care about is Jesus, what he says about me. Amen. We must please Jesus. We don't have to please anybody else. We do have to please our Lord and Savior. In this overview of 6,000 years of history and why America is unique, Bill Federer lends his eye of history as it becomes a view of prediction, as you call it. What we see are the practical steps that we've already taken to our peril, and we must change our course. Is that the truth that we're facing these days? It is, and it's exciting. 
I believe we're, we're getting close to God's timetable of things. But Jesus says wheat and tares grow together till the harvest. Both sides are going to intensify. But, you know, one of the other points I bring out is, so the most common form of government in world history is kings. And America's founders broke away, made the people the king. And if you look at the Constitution, they took the power of ruling and broke it into three branches, executive, legislative, and judicial, sort of a three-way tug-of-war. So each branch would try to pull power away from the other two branches. And then they separated power again, federal to state level. And then they tied up this new federal Frankenstein with ten handcuffs called the First Ten Amendments. Their whole preoccupation was limiting power. In other words, the purpose of the Constitution is to prevent a president from ruling through mandates and executive orders. Prevent one person rule. Right? They wanted to prevent a president from weaponizing law enforcement to destroy his political opponents, which is what King George III did. King George III would send his soldiers to your house and they would bust into your house and they could confiscate everything in your house. It was called the Writs of Assistance. And so James Otis was there in Massachusetts and he gave like a five-hour-long speech against English Writs of Assistance where the government could suspect you as an insurrectionist and they could bust into your house and arrest everything. And John Adams was like just spellbound listening to James Otis give this address and and john adams says it was at that moment that the child of liberty was conceived that we're going to stand up to the king and and i believe that when we remember that this is the spirit that gave birth we don't want a president weaponizing law enforcement and accusing his political opponents of insurrection and busting into the houses and arresting them in front of their kids and dragging them away so this is the situation that we're facing today It's a time where I think people are waking up and they're appreciating our country. What makes America great is you get to be in charge of your life and you get to decide where you want to live, who you want to marry, what job you want to take, what clothes you want to wear, what food you want to eat. In other countries, they can't make those decisions. In Islamic countries, if you walk around without a burqa, the the government wants to kill you, like in Iran. You know, these women are like wanting to take off their burqas and burn them. It's like, you know, we don't want the government to tell us what to wear. And, you know, other countries, if you eat pork, they'll kill you. In other countries, you have the, the class society. You know, like in, in Europe, they have the, the wealthy elite World Economic Forum type of EU class of rich people. And then all the common people that, like, we don't want you to tell us that we can't farm our food, our fields anymore in Holland. And we don't want the government to uh, limit us and everything. So I think we see this tension of a top-down versus bottom-up reaching a heightened proportion. And I can't help but think that the Lord is letting it happen because he wants to see the people show whose side they're on. And, Bill, what do we do in a practical manner to put together the truth of letting people see whose side we are on? What do we do? Local, local, local. Every day you drive by a school, and you know what they're teaching in that school. And so most school board races are won by very, very few votes. If you just had one church agree to get behind one of their church members running for school board, they could win every school board seat in the country overnight. And they're starting to do this in Florida and Colorado and different places. They're flipping these school boards. And and the left is like going crazy. It's a doable thing. Another is people are volunteering to be the people that work at the polls. 
where all you do is you know, sit at the table when somebody comes in and shows their ID, and they found that just by having church members there, it stops those that want to cheat. It's harder for them to do cheating when they know there's a Christian person sitting next to them. It's like, okay, what are, you know, some of them are doing drop box parties. And so in some states where they simply have a box there where people drop in ballots, and they've hired BLM and Antifa people to go out and collect and, and forge ballots and then take a picture of them with their phone and before they drop them in because they get paid for every ballot that they forge. And they found if people just sit there in their lawn chairs and they got some iced tea to drink and they're there all night long and that people get out of their car with a handful of ballots and they'll walk up and they'll see these people sitting there and they pull out their phones and they're like, look at it. The person turns around and gets back in their car and drives away. Right? They don't want people witnessing them doing voter fraud. These are little things that it's just church members deciding, hey, we're just going to get involved in a little bit, and it's having an effect. It's stopping those people. So it's local. And I'm convinced if every church would simply take responsibility for the school board races in their district, and they have a scriptural justification to do it, because Jesus says, if you're silent and you let one of these little ones that believes me to stumble better than a millstone we put her on your neck... And so the church member in the past said, we can't be silent anymore. If they just took responsibility for school board races, I'm convinced all the higher races will take care of themselves. Okay. The people will say, oh, I'll run for commissioner or state rep. Let them do that if the church just takes responsibility for school board races. That sounds exciting. Sounds like something that is doable. Bill Federer has been our guest. Who is the king in America is the name of the book. And you need to get your copy. Here's how. The complete two-day conversation with Bill Federer is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Discover the keys to preserving the freedoms of America's republic in Bill Federer's book and DVD entitled, Who is King in America? Order Bill Federer's book and DVD collection, Who is King in America, today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online, swrc.com. Now, let's go back into the studio and learn about the end times through the lens of the news we find today. It's our Bible in the News Report with Marvin McIlvaney. When children get to be around, oh, three or four years old, they go through a phase where they ask a lot of questions. It's usually a one-word question. Why? I would say something to my kids like, the birds fly south for the winter. The kids would ask, why? I would say, because it's warmer down south. The kids would ask, why? I would say because it's closer to the equator. And then you have to explain geography and weather and rain and clouds and low pressure, high pressure, humidity, the heat index, the atmosphere, a cold front. Eventually, they run out of questions, at least until after dinner. As they get older, they ask harder questions. My daughter asked me, if dreams can come true, what about the bad ones? The Christian polling firm Barna Group also asks a lot of questions. In its nearly 40-year history, the Barna Group has conducted more than 2 million interviews over the course of thousands of studies and has become a go-to source for insights about faith and culture, leadership and vocation, and generations. 
The Barna Group has carefully and strategically tracked the role of faith in America, developing one of the nation's most comprehensive databases of spiritual indicators. They asked this question, what do today's teens think about Jesus, the Bible, and justice? This question was posed to nearly 25,000 teens in 26 countries. They got encouraging answers. The data shows most of them have a positive perception of Jesus, with 49% of teens describing Jesus as loving, 46% believe he offers hope, and 43% say he cares about people. Only 8% said he is detached from today's real issues. 7% believe he is judgmental. 6% think he is irrelevant. And 4% say he is hypocritical. The global impression of Jesus is that he is trustworthy, generous, wise, peaceful, and the list goes on, Barna added. Barna found that teens worldwide overwhelmingly believe the Bible teaches about living a meaningful life understanding their purpose, and living wisely in today's society. The teens surveyed, ages 13 to 17, were from the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, four countries in Latin America, eight European countries, six countries in Asia, and four African nations. You know who else asked a lot of questions? Jesus. Someone has written that in the Gospels, Jesus asked, 307 questions. Probably the biggest question Jesus asked is found in Matthew 16. Jesus knew all things, including what was on the disciples' minds. The question he asked was not motivated by some type of vanity. Jesus was not fishing, excuse the pun, for compliments. His question was aimed at making the disciples reveal their level of faith. Jesus started the conversation by asking a related question. Who do the crowds say I am? The disciples related various things they had heard. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. The disciples were pointing to the fact that the crowd saw Jesus as someone special. But the crowd's guesses were all wrong. So Jesus asked the question to the disciples themselves. Who do you say I am? In other words, are you following the crowd? What do you really think? Now, by this time, they had seen Jesus do many miracles, including the raising of a widow's son, the calming of a storm, the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples knew that Jesus was more than a prophet. He was, in fact, God in the flesh. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The next time the Barna Group conducts a poll and asks you about Jesus, what will you say? Will you say he was a great teacher? He was a good person? You better not get this answer wrong. It's being recorded. Who is king in America? And who are the counselors to the king? Discover the answers to these and many more questions in Bill Federer's explosive book and DVD entitled, Who is King in America? An overview of 6,000 years of history and why America is unique. Order Bill Federer's book and DVD collection, Who is King in America, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we begin a brand new series with prophecy teacher Doug Stoffer that offers undeniable proof of the pre-tribulation rapture. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.